we pray, and overrule and overwhelm. Overrule and overwhelm the words that are spoken in this offering of praise, this sermon, that they would be of and by and from you in accordance to your word. And come and overrule and overwhelm these words that are heard, that they be for our good in the power of the Holy Spirit, transforming us and glorifying the name of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. A dominant value in our Western culture, a dominant value uh, of an American ethos, is sometimes considered to be expressive individualism. Now, I'm not exactly sure who coined the phrase expressive individualism. I first came across it in Robert Bella's work, The, Habit, uh, the Habits of a Heart. Uh, but expressive individualism can be summarized by basically one thought. The individual is priority. You get to forge your own path. You get to define your own good. You get to define your own self. This concept of expressive individualism basically makes the individual the supreme authority in which the individual gets to be who the individual wants to be. Now, as a consequence of this, of course, uh, 21st century philosopher, not one that I particularly enjoy, but Taylor Swift said, haters going to hate, 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 hate. <laughs> but this expressive individualism says you get to be who you want to be. Haters are going to hate, but you go ahead and don't let that get you down. Now, currently, our society and our culture is reaping the moral consequences of the dominant value, expressive individualism, and we're reaping these moral consequences in a variety of ways. But there's one consequence that, that I think is less noticeable and I think just as harmful, and that is the consequence of profound loneliness. If we are left to our own devices, to determine who we are, to determine what we do, if we really are, as that late 19th century poem said, the captains of our ship, the masters of our fate, if that's who we really are, then ultimately it seems that we are left on our own. Yes, individualism can inspire us to attempt great things, things that have never, never been done before. But individualism can also lead us to soul-crushing loneliness. God, that one of infinite wisdom, said it is not good for man to be alone. And as we read this passage from Peter's letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 through 10, we see that in Jesus, man, men and women together are never alone. They're not alone because of Jesus. And our response to the expressive individualism of the day must be this, Jesus and church, Jesus and community, Jesus and God's new nation. 
You see, in Jesus, believers are made together into a new community. They're given the spiritual temple to be a part of, and they are given a purpose. And Peter, in this passage from 1 Peter chapter 2, he draws our attention to those very things, Jesus and church. Jesus and Jesus' body, if you want to say it that way. Jesus, the cornerstone and the building that is constructed upon him, the firm foundation. And so this morning, we start first by looking at Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 6 and a few other places here. Peter draws our attention to Jesus, who is the cornerstone. Now, in the ancient world, and I'm not so familiar with construction projects in the modern world, uh, which is kind of ironic, isn't it, that I'm more, con- more familiar with ancient construction than I am with modern construction, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, in ancient buildings, it is not an exaggeration to say that the cornerstone was the single most important bit of the building. Often, the cornerstone was the largest, the most solid stone. It was specifically chosen, carefully cut, and prepared. And then in the construction of the foundation, it was placed at the corner of two walls. It would hold those walls together. It would sustain the building, and it would provide the true foundation square from which the rest of the stones would be placed. Of the entire project, the cornerstone was the most important. And without a chosen and precious cornerstone, the entire project would fail, no matter how much or how expensive or how beautiful the products were to build it. Now, Jesus is not, Jesus' church is not to be identified with any specific building. The metaphor is used to describe Jesus' church, individuals built together upon the stone into one community. And within the metaphor, within Peter's chapter 2 here, 4 through 10, it is Jesus who is the cornerstone, Jesus, the firm the foundation. He first refers to Jesus as a living stone in, in chapter, chapter 2, verse 4, and he says this, that, that Jesus, as you come to him, that's a reference to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. We have to recognize the ultimate excellency of Jesus. It doesn't matter so much what men say about Jesus. It matters what God has said about Jesus. And God has said Jesus is chosen and precious. He is the living stone. How do you know that God says that Jesus is chosen and precious? Because he walked out of the grave. The resurrection clarifies for us what God the Father thinks of Jesus, the eternal incarnated Son. And not only did he walk out of the grave, but then we read that he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father. You don't do that for one you think sort of okay about. You do that for one that is highly exalted. You do that for one who is chosen and precious. And so Jesus is the living stone rejected by men, yes, but chosen and precious in the sight of God. Now, running throughout this entire passage is uh, fulfillment, this idea of Jesus fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. Uh, Peter leans upon Isaiah 28, verse 16. He leans upon Psalm 118, verse 22. He leans upon Isaiah 8, 14. 
And in all of these things, all of these fulfillment passages, what we continually see is God's declaration through his prophets that he would select the cornerstone and then that God, the, the God of the Exodus, the God of the covenant, the God of uh, Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob, the God of David, that he would bring about the creation of a new people, that he would, God would bring about the building of a new temple. God declares in these passages, Isaiah 28, Psalm 118, Isaiah 8, God declares that he would select the cornerstone, that he would place the cornerstone, and that his new project, it would be built upon that cornerstone. And so there is no church if there is no Jesus. There is no church if there is no cornerstone. That is, Jesus is the true stone of the entire project, the most important stone chosen and precious, the one that is holding the walls together, the one that sustains the building, the one that provides the foundation square is Jesus. And that is not a place that the expressive individualism of our day and age really warm up to Jesus about. We see in, in this passage that when it comes to Jesus, a person either is built upon him or a person stumbles over him. There's no middle ground when it comes to Jesus. Peter doesn't equivocate. He doesn't use ambiguous language. He doesn't waffle. He quotes from uh, Psalm Isaiah 8.14, and he says this, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That's who Jesus is. He's either the cornerstone upon which you are built, or he is the rock that you trip over and stub your toe, sprain your ankle, and dislocate your toes. <laughs> and that grinds against our expressive individualism. But as Flannery O'Connor said, our ability to stomach the truth doesn't make it less true. Jesus declares himself in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. He is the living stone. No one can be built into the house of God but through and upon him. The simple fact is that some folks cannot accept Jesus and his claims. The simple fact is that such claims of exclusivity offend our sensibilities. But even the renowned atheist Christopher Hitchens once said, I would say if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah, that he rose again from the dead and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're not really in any meaningful sense a Christian. And what we see then, as Peter points us towards Jesus, what we see then is that it matters how one responds to Jesus. It matters for salvation. It matters for life. And for those who respond to Jesus with faith, their identity is built upon him, individually and corporately. The other half of this passage from Peter today, we look at Jesus and then we look at what does it say about those who believe in Jesus? Upon him, they are built into what he calls a spiritual house. Upon Jesus, because of Jesus, they are built into a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That once they were not a people, but now they are 
God's people, once they had not received mercy, but now they have received mercy. We cannot miss the fact that in Jesus, believers in Jesus are built together into God's people, linked together like a brick wall, stuck together, that they would be the spiritual house. Each believer in Jesus is a living stone, but they are together being built into a spiritual house, a new temple where God himself dwells. Together as a whole, believers in Jesus are placed within this metaphor and spiritual reality stone by stone exactly where God wants them to be, upon and based around, measured by, squared by, supported by, strengthened by Jesus, the cornerstone, into this spiritual temple. God dwells in his people by the power of his Holy Spirit. He creates from his people a holy priesthood. All of this, not because we've earned it, not because we've somehow been good little boys and girls, not because God is some sort of Santa Claus who checks his list and keeps his list and checks it twice, but because of Jesus, who in his grace and in his mercy is the living stone. We receive this great blessing of being built together into this spiritual house. We receive this great blessing of being formed into a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession. Not because we're great, but because He is great. And not because we've earned it, but because we have received mercy. This is a new identity based upon what Jesus has done and built upon Jesus, the cornerstone. Sins are forgiven. Sinners are ransomed out of former futile ways and ignorant ignorance. Sinners forgiven in Jesus, raised to new life in his resurrection, are adopted into God's family, his new people. Given a new identity, not because they've done a thing to earn it, not because they've risen to a level of acceptance, but because God promised to create a new people. And he sent Jesus to do exactly that. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 now, this morning. Listen to this as Peter declares to his audience who they are, as he declares to us who we are in Jesus. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light once you were not a people but now you are god's people once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy once again peter goes back into the pages of what we call the old testament he goes back into israel's history and he uses terms that we find in exodus chapter 19 in Exodus chapter 19, God has delivered the people of Israel from bondage in Egypt. He's ransomed them. He's brought them through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and to the foot of Mount Sinai. 
And there in Exodus chapter 19, Moses went up to meet God. God declared the terms of his covenant, his relationship with obligations to the people of Israel. If they obeyed him, if they kept his covenant, if they listened to his voice, then they would be among all the nations his treasured possession, his kingdom of priests mediating his presence to the world, his holy nation set apart and different from the world. God's promise to Israel in Exodus chapter 19 foreshadowed God's new building project through Jesus. It pointed forward to a time when God's chosen people would not simply be from the line of Abraham, but would be a collection of folks from all races, from all nations, from all tribes, languages, people groups, formed into a new race, a holy nation because of Jesus. Chosen by God, the idea of elect exiles, ransomed by Jesus to meet mediate his presence to the unbelieving world, to be set apart and unified as holy people reflecting the Father, a people of his own possession. And that is who believers in Jesus are. There is no Lone Ranger Christian. There is no expressive individualist. There is only Jesus' people built together. How great is this grace? How marvelous is this wonder? That God would make for himself his own people through Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, and build us into a community. Community's messy sometimes, though, isn't it? That's what we aim in. Yeah, community's messy. Just like families, community can be messy. Just like families, we can cause offense even without intending to. Just like families, we can seek to do the best we can possibly do, but still somehow tick somebody off. You don't know why, you just know that community's messy. But community has a responsibility to one another and to those around us. In his book, The Fractured Republic, author Yuval Levin writes this, A genuine community is not an intangible mass grouping, but a concrete, tangible grouping that gives you a role, a place, and a set of relationships and responsibilities to other particular human beings. Community involves a mix of dependence on others and obligations to them. That's why it's messy. And that's why it's so incredibly important. When Peter declares the creation of a new people in Jesus Christ, he is declaring the creation of a community with a role, a place, and a set of relationships and obligations to other human beings, both within and without, those who are not yet a part of. And Peter expects those who are made new in Jesus, Peter expects those who are within this new community to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous life, both internally and certainly externally. God's holy nation is a multinational, multi-ethnic, multiracial, multi-language nation that spreads across time and space because of Jesus and is built upon Jesus into a community with obligations, gospel obligations, to speak gospel to one another and to speak gospel to the world around, to speak gospel to those who are part of the nation because we never grow out of the gospel, we only grow in the gospel. The gospel orders our life together. But we also are called then to speak gospel to those who are not yet part of the people, who have not yet received the mercy of God found in Jesus Christ. How great is this grace? 
How marvelous is this wonder that by his mercy, he brings us in and then he empowers us to be a part of his bringing in. What a privilege it is to be a part of God's community, to be a part of God's people, proclaiming the excellencies of him by the way we speak and by the way we live. Blessing people with gospel ministries that they may believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and join us in building His kingdom is one way in which we can express this explanation, this exclaiming, this proclaiming of the excellencies of God. It's the way that the elders in the vestry and I have discerned our vision for the future of Emmanuel, that we would be a people, a community built upon Jesus who bless people with gospel ministries. Why? For our own good? No, for their good. That they may believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and that they may join us being built upon the living stone so that we may build his kingdom. It is certainly about verbally proclaiming God's excellencies. It is certainly about speaking truth, proclaiming gospel, but it is also about loving people. It is also about living as God's people, as living stones built upon the living stone, loving people through service, loving people by listening, loving people by pointing toward Jesus, the living stone upon whom we are built. Believers in Jesus are built into a community, and that community has a purpose, to point back to the cornerstone, Jesus himself, and to see that building grow, to see that building get bigger, to see that building expand as more living stones, as more people are welcomed into the family of God. I've said this to you in the name of our Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.